This is the official Caps Chirp Podcast, proudly a part of the Hockey Podcast Network. Every team, everywhere. What's going on, Caps fans? It's me, the Hockey Troll, and I am here with that snack, Polly Cupcakes. What's up, Caps fans? We have a very special treat today. We have the one and only Olaf Kolzig, a.k.a. Oli the goalie, a.k.a. Godzilla. He took the time and talked to us, and it's a real treat. Absolutely. Holy fuck. I mean, I'm still... Uh, <clears throat> we we cut the the interview and then just sat here for like a minute, like just breaking our arms, jerking ourselves off on how cool that was. I'm going to be honest. Um, so yeah... Th- we cap sounds we we're going to talk a little bit about what's going on in the league but the bulk of the episode is definitely going to be our interview with Oli the goalie Olaf Kolzig um special thanks to him for you know being really generous with his time you know he spent an hour about an hour and 20 minutes with us uh so really cool um super gracious um can't say enough and to be honest I was incredibly nervous yeah me too <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I, I was uh, so because you know we we've had a lot of we've had some cool guests. I mean, not to discount any of our guests that's been on this show, but I mean, Vesna winner, Cup champion as a, as a coach, leader in almost every statistical category in goaltending for the Washington Capitals, all round awesome guy. You know, King Clancy winner just fucking awesome all right so hold on to your butts for that um we hope you guys enjoy it you know we do it all for you do it all for you caps fans you (laughs) uh if you'll notice we have rearranged the studio and Polly 2.0 beta is actually sitting right next to us but we have the real Polly back in studio so welcome back Polly. thank you um i'm glad that we're back to doing this in person it was convenient to do it from home, um, but I think we're going to deliver a better quality this way, and it's just fun to get together and shoot the shit. Right, absolutely. I mean, Caps fans, we are friends, so you know that, that helps see your buddy. Um, a reminder, we've got Caps Chirp merch up on the screen here. Buy our shit. Uh, that would be cool. If you guys like the designs, um, you know, buy some stuff. Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> it. Uh, the money goes back into the podcast, uh, either right. in the the way of hardware, software, or alcohol. Right. Uh, either way, your money is just helping us bring you more content. Absolutely. Um, and thanks to everyone who has purchased their special collector's item yep. first run first generation collector's item yeah. um <laughs> it's gonna be worth a lot of money on ebay someday right right give it about 10 years and you know you could finance your next yacht with it yeah <laughs> hockey <laughs> troll is really into yachts these days i, I came am. in today and i looked at his computer and he had a boat video it was a like a virtual tour of a boat like come on Bro, some of these yachts are insane. Um, I've been falling down a rabbit hole of just touring them and just like, I don't know. I don't know why I do it, but you know, I feel like you could buy one and rent it out, charter it, 
and make money. Yeah. So I went to a wedding on a boat and uh it was a it was a really cool experience. Really? Yeah, so renting out a boat would be a good way for people who don't have yacht money to get that experience. So Right. Yeah. And definitely wh- wait, well, what was this was it the whole wedding and everything? They took you out or was it just docked? Like uh how- well so the wedding was on the beach and then while it was docked we there was the dance and the speeches and stuff. And then once it just got to normal party time, we cruised around the bay. That's tight. Yeah, it was cool. That, that seems pretty sweet. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like I could charge somebody like ten grand for that with a yacht, at least. Yeah, and the even cooler part was if they got rained out, uh, the backup wedding on the boat was included in the price. So if, oh. if they had to do the wedding on the boat, that was an option. And it was like three levels. There was the the dance floor and then there was kind of just like a deck to like stand by the railing and then there was like a third floor where you could go and sit and so this was a legit yacht yeah it was awesome yeah. <laughs> that's yeah. tight that's tight well maybe one day um the hockey podcast network will will become what they are destined to be a multi-billion dollar company and we'll each have our own yacht we can yeah you know Cruise the Atlantic or something. And start us off by buying our merch. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. This is going to the Yacht Fund. Yeah. Um, well, anyways, man, I mean, after all of that, uh, I need a drink. Not my throat's dry. Yeah, absolutely. One, two, three. <laughs> all right. Well, Caps fans, before we give you the interview with Oli the goalie, we have some league news. Um, the NHL board has approved the playoff format, and so it, it's it's done. Like the there is now a plan in place to return hockey for the playoffs, and it's going to be a twenty four team format as we discussed last episode. Uh, but just to get you up to speed, all of this data I've gotten is from NBC Sports and uh, CBS, I believe. So. The NHL will host, the plan is, and and obviously this is all up in the air, so take this with a grain of salt, but it is more legit than it's ever been, as in the NHLPA and the NHL itself has agreed that this is going to happen as long as there's not another crazy spike in in the coronavirus, so stay the fuck at home. Um, But the NHL will host all games in one city, Per conference. So there's going to be one Eastern Conference hub and one Western Conference hub. Uh, the hub cities that are under consideration are Chicago, Columbus, Dallas, Edmonton, Las Vegas, LA, Minneapolis, Poopsburgh, <laughs> Toronto, and Vancouver. Um, <clears throat> I, other than Pittsburgh, I just have, I don't care where it fucking goes down. Again, there is not going to be any fans in the stands. So they've, they've, Narrowed that down. It's going to be 100% TV audience. Um, so those are the hub cities that are being considered. Uh, and the playoff standings are basically based on points percentage. The top 12 teams from both the Eastern and Western conferences make up the 24-team field. The format awards the top four seeds in each conference a buy past the play-in round, which will be technically not the pl- – I mean, it is the playoffs, but it's kind of not as far as what normal Stanley Cup playoffs would be. 
uh, and that consists the a best of five series for the playoff round. The first and second rounds of the actual playoffs after the play-in round will be either best of five or best of seven series. The conference finals for each division and the Stanley Cup final will be regular best of seven formats. So right now we're in what's called phase two. Phase three won't start until July 1st at the soonest. And that's when they're going to start doing work groups, small work groups per team to come back and do training camps. Um, They also in June were going to allow optional skates in the home rinks of these teams. So um, no one's going to be required earlier than July, but the guys might start getting on the ice in June. Right. So, you know, um, I mean, this is all positive news. This is great. Uh, As long as everything continues the way as far as not having another crazy spike in new cases of coronavirus, we should be ready to go around July is when things are going to start buzzing. Um, you know, that means they probably won't return to play until around like late July, August. But I feel that this tournament, since there's not a lot of travel, I don't know what the schedules are going to be like. None of that stuff's released. Um, so it's probably going to be like a month and a half long tourney. What do you think, Paul? Yeah, I, uh, <clears throat> I thought Gary Bettman had said, the play-in in first round, they think they'll get in under a month. Okay. And first round. So the play-in plus... Okay. Yeah. So... Uh, and then I mean, after that, it's exponentially quicker. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Because, I mean, they have enough teams. They could probably run, like, three games a day and still give everybody a day off. Right, right, right. And, and obviously, the most... Hectic it's going to be is during the playoff play-in round and the first first round. So And without travel, sense. they don't need as much time off. Right, right. Um, it's going to be interesting, though, to see what they do if they're, you know, so let's say they go to Columbus, uh, which is a city that we're kind of familiar with, or Pittsburgh. There's several rinks around. I wonder if they're going to let them go to other rinks or the home, t- the hosting cities. NHL practice facility for other ice. Again, all that's up in the air. That hasn't been clarified. You haven't heard anything about that, have you, Polly? No. And, you know, I was thinking <clears throat> my uh, my brother went to a showcase in Boston, and I remember it was a rink with, like, six sheets of ice. Yeah. And to me, that seems like the kind of place they should utilize instead of the arenas because it's probably going to be cheaper to run a camera crew and it's one facility where you could like be available to more teams. So the only, the only downfall I see with something like that is that NHL arenas are set up for, you know, sound video, all that stuff to do that into a rink that's used for us common slobs. I think that would be too much for games, but for practices completely agree. Right. Um, during phase three, once once it gets in, teams will be limited to only 50 personnel in their respective hub city. So that's 50 per team. And that includes like trainers and coaching and any anybody else, I guess. Uh, probably press is involved in that. Um, and a small number of support staff. So 
yes, the players are not going to be able to take their families, basically, is what that means. Yeah. Uh, which which sucks for them. But, you know, it's a two, two and a half month thing, I feel like. so. It, it also might limit the amount of um, scratches they can bring. Right. Yeah, because there's no cap in the playoffs. Right. So instead of having maybe 10 guys they could work into the system, you know, maybe they'll limit that number so they can bring all the proper uh, trainers and stuff. Right, right. Um, Well, moving on to phase four, which is the final phase, uh, which has no target date yet. It will include the return of play with clubs facing off in the two hub cities for round robins, qualifying rounds, and the Stanley Cup playoffs. Um, No word as to what the actual finals will look like, though, if they're going to travel between the hub cities or not. I would assume they would. Well, I mean, does it really matter, though, if there's no fans? No. So they could just be like, maybe the top seed, that's that's the hub. They're going to play on again, folks. This is all speculation on our part, but yeah, I agree. I I think it also wouldn't be fair if one of the teams in like if if a team from the hub city makes it to the finals. I feel like you you shouldn't give them their home ice. So if it's in Columbus and they make the finals, they should play in the Western Hub. Interesting. Okay. Fair. I guess. And you know, now we're going now we're slowly falling down that yeah, rabbit hole, which is right. ridiculous. So, let's let's cut that right now. <laughs> we'll figure it out when the time comes. Again, this is about a month away in any case, so uh fans, you should be happy though. This is a positive positive thing going for the NHL. Absolutely. I mean, the everybody organizationally is on board with moving forward to actually playing. So there is no, are we going to return? It's when we're going to return at this point. So, and that's set in stone. Uh, now the matchups though, they've, so they've done it by point percentage now. And so previously we had talked about a Yotes Nux matchup, uh, a possibility in the first play in round. That's no longer the case. Um, in the East, the number eight Maple Leafs will face off against the number nine Jackets. The number seven Islanders will face off against another number 10 Panthers. The number six Hurricanes will face off against the number 11 Rangers. And the number five Penguins will face off against the number 12 Canadians. Now, I think this spells disaster for the Penguins who did not deserve to be in this whatsoever. Uh, in in my eyes, they were on their way to playing themselves out of a playoff spot if the regular season had concluded as normal. But again, they might have greased some palms. They might have released COVID themselves. <laughs> and I don't know. I'm not going to speculate that they actually did release a deadly virus, but I'm pretty sure they did. So... <laughs> We'll look at it this way. They've got to be scared against the Canadians. Carey Price could easily steal that series. Yeah. And another series that I'm looking at, the Hurricanes and the Rangers. The Rangers mm-hmm. owned the Hurricanes in the past five matchups. The The Hurricanes have since been a bit vocal about this 
format. Yeah. Wouldn't you say? So, I mean, what have you heard on, on, uh, have you read anything, Polly, about the Hurricanes bitching? Well, yeah, I know, uh, Brenda Moore, uh, he was saying, okay, so the first 68 games mean nothing. It's like, first right. of all, shut up yeah. because there's teams that didn't get in. Yep. So you're really just being that kid that wants to take his ball and go home. Yeah. And, you know, so much respect to Rod Brindamore. We love Rod the Bod. I love Rod the Bod. But, the I, I mean, and I get that he's, he's uh, you know, carrying that flag for his team, you know. And, and that's his job as a coach to be vocal about stuff that he doesn't agree with or things that could – could negatively affect his team. I mean, I don't blame him. Uh, but obviously I think that, uh, if you've seen this on social media in any way, I think that everybody's kind of on the same page that he's just kind of bitching a little bit. And so is the organization. Yeah. Rightfully so. I would too. I would too, if I was Carolina. And you know, I was thinking about this penguin series that it is kind of a scary matchup for them, but also if they lose, then your prediction of them missing the playoffs is technically correct. Is it? This is a play-in round. That's true. And then and there's they still are call- four rounds of the playoffs. I'm going to need to be calling Berlansky and Horwat on the uh, the Tip of the Iceberg podcast here and start talking some major shit. Um, but I, I guess I, I'll have to get their take on that. But I'm with you especially because you've said that I would be right. So I'm support you fully. Um, (laughs) I mean, I would, I would consider every team who loses this play in series to have missed the playoffs. Interesting. And that's where, and so, and, and again, you know, fans, we're not, we don't know anything that's going to be going on as far as how stats are going to be recorded. But obviously Ovechkin, has lost the he's been robbed of the last 12 games and we're we're already butthurt about that but what are they what where do the stats go for this play on play in ramp well do they go regular season are they I, playoffs i guess they have to go playoffs because they've already given out all the awards right and so that is where i'm saying maybe the penguins did make the playoffs yeah which that's that's tough and then the the round robin do those count as playoff stats? Right. That's this is so weird. Yeah. It's so weird. Um, but I'm here for it, man. I mean, this is great stuff. I, I don't. I'm glad hockey's gonna be back. And like we said in the last episode, I feel like this is a great time to pilot ideas and to get some data. You know, let's make the best out of a shitty, shitty situation that we're in. Absolutely. Um, so anybody who's bitching is either probably just a fan whose team did not directly benefit from this uh this uh this structure um but you know people are going to be sore losers anyway right mm-hmm. the west is looking pretty cool pretty pretty interesting here so we've got the number 5 oilers versus the number 12 blackhawks the number 6 predators versus the number 11 coyotes and the number 7 nucks versus the number 10 wild that's going to be a good series, and the Flames versus the Jets. The West looks like very. It looks very odd to me. Yeah, these are not matchups that we have seen in maybe Flames Jets. Yeah. Flames Jets. I think they've played probably in the past five years, but other than that, when when these teams 
have had their moments in the playoffs, their respective opponent is having a down year. Right. Yeah. So having them all getting this opportunity together is definitely very odd. Yeah, and I mean, check out the Oilers right now. I know, I know, John and Kyle from uh, from the Oil Country podcast are probably. I, I've I've got to think pretty positively for the Oilers here. Yeah, I think that the Oilers have a good shot against May against um, beating the Blackhawks. I, I mean, and that would be their first true playoff berth in a while. Ever since they um, blew that lead to Anaheim. Was it uh, 2016, 2017? Yeah, yeah. It's been a couple of years. Let's put it this way. The Oilers haven't been in the playoffs since Anaheim was still good. So uh, it's been a few years. <laughs> right, right. Um, And now, if you lose in the playoff round, you get into the draft lottery, from what I understand. Yeah. So Or into the play-in round. If you lose in the play-in round, you go into the draft lottery – um, I mean, so many Penguins fans have been like, we're going to lose to Montreal in the play-in round and then get Lafreniere. And I would just say, again, perfect example of the Penguins being favored by the NHL and somehow fixing things. They've already released, may or may not have released COVID, but, you know, who knows. I'm just harping on that today. I don't know. I mean, uh, I've been, um, I've been empowered by, by uh, our interview uh, because... Oli actually was like, yeah, man. Like, he wasn't even dancing around it. He's like, yeah, if you're in a Penguins uniform, you know, there's got to be some hatred yeah. between you as a Caps fan and a Penguins fan. Um, <clears throat> you know, if the Penguins don't make the playoffs, be on the lookout for uh, COVID-20. <laughs> 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 I know that's not how it works, but it's funny. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I mean... Uh, uh, the West looks super interesting to me. We're not going to get what we wanted with the uh, the Yotes and Nucks. That would have been a really cool series to see. I think it would have been you know those are two teams on the come uh, and they're young and they're and they're exciting and it and it just it would be great to watch a Coyotes and Canucks series. Also, um, though, I will say it looks like a Battle of Alberta. Playoff series is not out of the question. That would be nice. Yeah. That'd be very. That probably would be the conference finals. Yeah, and that would be a uh, man. What a what a that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> this season has the opportunity. I think we've said this before for division rivals to meet up in the conference finals. So that right. that's exciting. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, and you know, with, I mean. <sighs> I don't know about the Predators. I, I'm not sold on them. I, I think that the Coyotes have a bit of upset power here against the Preds. Yeah, especially if they're healthy. They've had they've had a lot of injury issues this year. But uh, I think when you look at the West, they have a much bigger drop-off from the top four to the rest of the field. Whereas yeah. in, in the West, that play-in round is just, who knows what's going to happen? Yeah. In the East, really, I don't see a whole lot of opportunity for an upset unless the Canadians or the Rangers get hot. But, uh, yeah, I, th- I think the West is going to be something very exciting. 
Right. It's 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 a lot. It's just a roll of the dice on every single one. Yeah. Um, it seems like to me, and you know, obviously, we're not huge. I mean, we're hockey fans. Obviously, we know these teams, but we're not ingrained. Uh, but the buzz that I get around our the the hockey podcast network is they're kind of on the same page too. Um, now, uh, speaking of the of the East, though, real quick, what do you take uh, away from the Maple Leafs and Blue Jackets series? Uh, well, <clears throat> the reason I don't think that like qualifies as an upset or anything because they're basically the same seed. They're eight and nine. Uh, I think the Jackets have a chance because they've done some impressive stuff this year with not a great team. Elvis, is that the goalie? Yeah, first Lurkins. Yeah, he is scary. And I think the Maple Leafs are still struggling to find a way to make all that talent mesh together. Yeah, I would agree. I think that the the Jackets are the better team, quote-unquote team. Um, And I think they're probably a better defensive team. Definitely. And if Elvis can come back and basically make Sergei Bobrovsky's loss uh an afterthought, then they have a good chance of upsetting the Maple Leafs and like you said it's not much of an upset, but if you look at all the star power the Maple Leafs have versus the Blue Jackets, I think on paper the Maple Leafs are a much more deadly team offensively, but the Blue Jackets are a more defensively sound structured team. Um, I think the Islanders are going to beat the Panthers. Yeah, I I agree. Um, the well that that's a really nice battle of tough, disciplined defense, team defense, right against run and gun. Right again, yeah, and then with this play, I mean, this is what's so exciting about this playoff is that. There in this playoff round is that it seems like there's a lot of mismatches in style. So mm-hmm. you're going to get to see opposing styles, not just everybody's playing the trap, you know, like or or two or or just a shootout in that sense. So it feels like March Madness, really, um, <clears throat> where, it, you know, in that tournament, teams who would never play see each other. So you get that big difference in style. I think. That's one of the most exciting parts about this, like you said, is the the difference in style and how these teams are going to interact. Because normally, they the playoff teams are mostly the same every year, so they know right. what to expect. We know what we're going to see. Having like the Coyotes and the Panthers in the mix this year is going to bring a whole new dynamic as yeah. a fan. No, no doubt, no doubt, and it's it's good for the fan base is that. Don't normally get to see this hockey at this time of year. Uh, you know, I, I don't know what the league's going to do as far as our great idea is to charge $100 for every game or whatever it may be. You know, let's blow some of that stimulus money. I would pay $100 right now for, to be able to stream every game. No, yeah. Not 100 every game. 100 for, for the entire... To get every game. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. To get every game. 100 bucks. Yeah. If I could watch every single game... Of this entire tournament, I would pay $100 if I could just log in and get HD quality stream on my computer or on my, you know, whatever it may be. So, like a Roku even or whatever, whatever it happens. So, I think the NHL should jump on that. Definitely. And another thing is really good for these teams like the Coyotes and the Canucks 
to get some Eastern television experience. Mm. You know, they, they get really overlooked. The East Coast, pretty much all you see is the Eastern Conference and then the Predators and the Blackhawks, now the Avalanche a little bit, and the Flames. I mean, right. <clears throat> so it'll be nice for these other teams to get some national TV exposure. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, you got anything else on this playoff? I, I'm excited. I'm pumped. Me too. Now mm-hmm. I'm just excited to see how it plays out. Right. Counting down the days. And, you know, again, we talk about it all the time. The state of hockey is in such a, a healthy, great product in that sense. You know, hockey, NHL hockey right now is just so good. Um, fans were lucky to see this unfold, I think. Uh, the circumstances surrounding it unfolding are shit. But at the same time, being able to see this thing, I'm super interested in how it's going to play off or play out. And, and I'm just starving for hockey, man. You know? It- we got ton of, we got we got roller hockey starting here soon. Yeah, apparently. we'll give you guys weekly updates on how our roller <laughs> hockey season goes. Yeah, so uh hockey troll, me, I was on uh I was on the uh the waiver wire for a solid two, three days. Um yeah. pretty big hit to the ego. I've got a lot to prove this uh this next season. So playing with a chip on my shoulder. Well, a lot of times uh <laughs> Troll and I come in and we tell people we're a package deal. So right. if one of us gets picked up, we just bring the other one along. So former teammate of mine invited me to play, and I said thanks. Next text was, I want troll. There you go. Pays to have friends in high places. Yeah, that's how I got on his ice hockey team. Yeah, exactly, right. Yeah, so you kind of owe me. We're like even now. Yeah. Yeah, fair enough. Um, all right, well, you got anything else there, Polly? Um, I think I had an idea and then it left and it's gone. Oh no, I I did want to say, think about as a Caps fan, here's some of the things we can look back on the Ovechkin era, two lockouts, a pandemic, the first, um, Stanley cup, possibly going to be the all time goal scorer, uh, all of his Rocket Richards just got his ninth. Yeah. And then um, the shortened tournament. So the OV era is probably the most exciting time in Capitals history, aside from the fact that Ovechkin's here. Right. Right. That's that's a good way to put it there, Paulie. Well put. Um, well, then, let's let's tell you about Capsense, our sponsor, Manscaped.com. The Lawnmower 3.0 out now. It is a special shaver designed for groin grooming. It's nice, it's compact, fits well in your hand, it has a light on it. It does not nick your balls. Um, I've been using it, it's waterproof. Again, I always say I use it in the shower. It's it's fucking sick. I like it. Um, you know, uh it's 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 great. And and thanks for Manscaped for hooking us up. If you go to manscaped.com and use code THPN, you can enjoy 20% off plus free shipping. Again, that's manscaped.com. Use code THPN. Get 20% off and free shipping. 
make sure your boys are clean, nice and nice and kept. Um, I had a I had a friend say that he shaves every part of his body that he wants a mouth to go. That's that's a good way to uh, provide incentive. <laughs> so using that logic, you know, we're not going to tell you what to do, but. <laughs> In that context, using that logic, you connect the dots. I feel that that is a um, that's a solid ideology. It is, and it's very considerate, exactly to whoever is involved with you. Right, and it's hygienic. Yes, so they say. You know, we used uh, mine last week. We uh, used mine. I did not use yours. No, no, with no, you. no, no. Not you and me. <laughs> me and my wife. Oh. We used it to trim our dog's butt hair, so you can also use this for other species. <laughs> what the fuck? Are you serious? You used it on your puppy? Yeah, just, just a little bit so it didn't get poop stuck in her butt hair. You have to, you know, just like, but it was, it was, it was light and barely got anything, but just enough so that it doesn't get messy back there. So is this now a exclusive dog shaver or are No, you... I'm just showing its versatility. Ah, oh. You know, we didn't shave like down to the skin. We just trimmed like a quarter of an inch off, but the precision was there. <laughs> um okay, well, uh caps that that's that's another use for the Manscaped razor. That's a lawn pour 3.0. Again, that's manscaped.com. Use code THPN for 20% off and free shipping. And you might shave your dog's ass too with that. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, well, look, I'm just buzzing still and want to get you guys to this episode or this interview that we had with Ole Kolzig. What a beaut. Dude was so cool, really gracious with his time. Had, I mean, I'm going to be honest. As far as like hockey experiences go, number one hockey experience, Polly, playing in the Yale Whale. That was really cool. We got to do that against Yale's club team. And then, you know, I think this is the second. I'm going to be honest. Like hockey-related experiences, talking to – and it's probably tied for first, to be completely honest. 1A, 1B. Yeah, yeah. I'm saying 1A, 1B. Uh, awesome time. Real down-to-earth dude. Uh I mean, folks, it's it's true. Whatever they say about hockey players being just normal people, that's exactly it. Uh, just supremely talented normal people. So let's kick you off to this instead of our normal Washington wraparound where we showcase a player. Enjoy this interview with us, the Caps Chirp hosts, and Oli Kolzig, Godzilla himself. What's going on, Caps fans? It's me, the Hockey Troll, and I am here with Polly Cupcakes. And ladies and gentlemen, we have a very, very special guest joining us today. He holds just about every goaltending record for the Washington Capitals. Most career games played, most career wins, most shutouts, most most points scored, most games played in a season, most career playoff shutouts, most career playoff penalty minutes uh, for a goaltender. And if that weren't enough, he's a Vesna winner, three-time Olympian, King Clancy winner, ECHL champion twice over, AHL tw- champion, DEL champion, ECHL Hall of Famer, 
NHL All-Star and a Stanley Cup champion as part of the Capitals staff in 2018. Please welcome the man, the myth, the legend, the best goalie in Capitals franchise history, Ole the goalie, Godzilla, Olaf Kolzig himself. Ole, thanks so much for coming on. Uh, it means a lot to our listeners. Uh, how are you doing today and, and, and during these times in this crazy world that we're living in? Well, first of all, thanks for that intro. Um, <laughs> I didn't realize I was a leading penalty uh, getter in the playoffs for a goaltender, which isn't something I, I guess I'm proud of. But um, I, it's, uh, you know, we're, we're in a weird time right now. It's uh, kind of, I was telling you guys earlier, just kind of like the rest of the country, just um, sitting here in, in Washington State. And, you know, we're still in phase one, so I uh, haven't been able to get out and about. Um, but, uh you know, it is what it is. I'm trying to make the best of it. And, um, you know, hopefully in the next couple of months we get, we get, uh, we get to playing some hockey again. Absolutely. Well, unlike, uh, Polly and I, uh, you look like you're in great shape, man. You're, you're, you're still, uh, still looking good. And, and it seems like, are you doing any exercising? I know it's tough in, in quarantine, but, uh, but you, you stay. It's not tough in quarantine. I've got my own gym. Uh, I bought a Peloton thankfully back in, in Thanksgiving and, uh, you know, I've always, I've always, you know, obviously not in the same shape I was when I played hockey, but um, it's been a lifestyle for me, um, you know, ever since I was a kid, and uh, it helps you, it helps you feel more energy, uh, more energetic. Um, you know, hopefully, uh, body's able to fight off uh, this virus if I ever get it, um, and uh, you know, sometimes looks are a little deceiving. Um, <laughs> Not as uh, not as svelte as I was back in the day, but um, still trying to still trying to hang in there um, with the younger guys. Absolutely, absolutely, man. You don't, you don't look a day over thirty. I'm loving it. <laughs> um, well, that's I appreciate it. Just turned fifty a month ago, so that's a good happy problem. birthday, happy birthday, man. That's maybe don't look like a day over thirty, but I don't. I feel like uh, I just hit seventy. So <laughs> all those years of hockey. I hear you. I hear you. Um, all right, so you know one thing I wanted to really clear up because if you Google Olaf Kolzig, man, I mean the first thing that always comes up in your bios is you know first African-born NHLer with German citizenship, but grew up all over Canada. So you're you're very much like a worldly player in in that sense. And I just gotta ask, did your parents just know you were gonna be great at hockey so you could represent like the homeland Germany? What what's the story behind I guess that citizenship in in that sense? I mean. If it's probably a lot less than I'm thinking into it, but from someone who traveled around a lot as well as a kid, um, I kind of understand that. So I guess well, what, what's my, a good buddy of mine termed the phrase Germafricadian, which is kind of <laughs> for me, it kind of brings all my connections around the world together. But my, my parents were, uh, they were German and or they are German. Um, and they were in the hotel business and, um, when they were done with their schooling in Germany, they, they started out in Johannesburg um, and uh, they were married. And, um, you know, I was just happened. That's where I was born. And um, I retain, you know, I don't know what the laws were, but I just retained my, my parents' citizenship, which is German. Um, and I was German up until, geez, probably 10 years ago. Um, when we grew up, when I, when I lived in Canada, we were just landed immigrants. Um, you know, and up until then, I, I probably felt like I was more Canadian than I was German. 
Uh, at that time, I'd probably only spent a total of six months in Germany. Um, but German was my first language um, and spoke it until I was about 10. Uh, other than my immediate family, the entire Kolzik clan is over in Germany. Um, and uh, yeah, obviously, didn't my parents didn't foresee me, uh, you know, representing uh, the motherland anytime in the future. Uh, my dad introduced me to hockey when we first moved to Edmonton and and uh, yeah, just at, uh, over over the next twenty years, whatever it was, uh, twenty five years, I ended up uh, getting getting the invite to represent Germany and um, made everybody in my family proud. Awesome, that's really cool. That's an awesome story for sure. Um, and it's got to be great to see you know Germany, you know, being a little bit more represented in the forefront in. Uh, in today's NHL, right? I mean, Leon Dreisaitl, he's the man. So that's, that's probably kind of cool for you, at least seeing that you were the, one of the early German players and, and seeing him come in and tear it up. Right. No, it's, it's, it's great. I mean, I, obviously I wasn't developed uh, over in Germany. I was developed in Canada, so it's a little different. Um, but, uh, you know, when I was with, you know, first of all, Uwe, Uwe Krupp was probably uh, the biggest German name. Um, uh, and then, you know, then you had uh, Marco Sturm, you had uh, Jochen Hecht. Um, and now I think that paved the way, you know, there were more, more young kids interested over in Germany that wanted to play hockey instead of soccer or, or whatever other, uh, other sport that, that Europe is known for. And so um, the, the development for German hockey players now is, is becoming stronger and stronger. And you saw last year, there was a kid that uh, that got drafted to Detroit, I think fifth overall. And then there's a kid this year who, who probably other than the first two guys um, could be the third overall pick. So uh, I think it speaks volumes for, um, for the hockey program in Germany and what they did a few years ago, you know, just barely losing the gold medal to the Russians at the Olympics. Right. Right. That was an awesome Olympics to watch too. So good stuff there. Yeah. So uh, I had, listened to some of your previous interviews and I heard you say that around 10 is when you started playing goalie. Um, would you say you were instantly happy with the position change or did it take a while to appreciate that side of the game, not getting to score and handle the puck? No, I, I had instant gratification. Um, you know, I, I started at 10. I, I was a, I started out as a positional player, you know, develop my skating and, it just, it was an accident, actually. Uh, our goalie didn't, whatever reason was weather or traffic, I can't remember, but didn't show up for the game. And, and so they needed somebody to, to, you know, fill in. And I volunteered and uh, ended up getting a shutout that game. And, you know, you get the pats on the back and everybody's congratulating you. And you're thinking, wow, you know, and it wasn't like I was a goal scorer anyway. I was probably more of a, you know, a defensive player. Um, and so I didn't, uh, you know, I didn't revel in the goal scoring, but, um, you know, getting a shutout and having, having everybody, you know, congratulate you and tap you, tap, like I said, pat you on the back. I mean, that just kind of made you feel great. And probably wasn't until, you know, a year later when I got lit up that I uh, <laughs> was wondering if I made the right decision, but, you know, hindsight, I, I obviously did make the right decision. Oh, absolutely. Definitely. Um, and since, you know, you, you've said you've been all over, you've played, 
in Canada and you've made it through juniors, multiple minor leagues, you played for Germany, you played in the NHL, what would you say, uh, take the the money and the, the fans out of it, at what level would you say that you had the most fun playing hockey? That's a good question. Um, you know, it's probably, I mean, I, I had, I've always had fun playing hockey and obviously, like you said, the pressure, everything's a little different when you're in the NHL, but you know, when you're having success at that level and, and uh, you know, there's no, there's no better, there's no better feeling. Um, you know, obviously the cup run we had in 98 was special. Um uh the time I spent in the Olympics was was fantastic um I, I guess ultimately you know the year that uh I'd say the years I had in the minors in uh in Rochester and Portland um you know the one year we went to the Calder Cup finals we lost in the finals when I was with Rochester the following year I was with I was with Portland the second half of the season after getting sent down from Washington and we ended up winning the cup that year and um and I mean, there's, there's, there's still pressure because you're, you're trying to perform at a high enough level that it attracts the the parent club, you know, to, to bring you back to Washington. But um, it's not as big a pressure because you're not, obviously you're not on TV. You're not, um, you're there to develop, um, you know, sure. and winning still important, but the, the most important part, and obviously I know that now because I'm on the development side is, uh, is developing players at that, at that level. And, um, so that when they are in the NHL, um, they can be consistent contributors every night. So, um, just the, the group of guys we had, uh, the, the run that we had, um, the, it was the first year that the, uh, that Portland had a team again since they were the main Mariners. Um, you know, we were sold out every night. Uh, there was just a great following amongst the city and we were treated well everywhere we went. So I, I would say that year was probably, the most fun we had. We ended up winning the cup in June. Uh, the beaches were open in Portland, Maine. Um, <laughs> it was, it was just a fantastic, fantastic run and in a, in a great area. So I'd have to say that was probably the, the most fun I had. Awesome. Awesome. Um, you know, and uh, I, I feel like uh, I, I totally get what you're saying because, you know, when you're and and this kind of leads into my next question, but when you're in the minor leagues, like, it's it's almost like college before the real world almost because you're I guess that's the way I'm me a, 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 a normal guy is is equating it to because you know there's a responsibility and you and you got to do work to get into the next level but at the same time you're there having fun in the moment so so definitely feel that um but as far as your career when you were drafted in 89 you know were there I'm were there a lot of times since you didn't get a shot at a full NHL season until 96 moving around the minor leagues and things like that? Was there, I mean, what was the mindset there? Were you feeling down a lot or, you know, was it kind of just put in the work, take it day by day? No, not down a lot. I mean, there were obviously times I was questioning myself. Um, I think the biggest problem for me or the, the thing that, probably hurt me the most was my first training camp um in 89 we were over in russia and uh it was the first time nhl teams i think it was us in calgary that went over there uh, and we held our training camp over there and, and so you know the caps took the majority of their veterans and a handful of guys that, that played in baltimore and the minors that were 
that were prospects. And then Byron Defoe um, and myself uh, were the first two picks that year and both goalies. And uh, we were the only two rookies that made that trip. And I had no expectations. It was my first training camp. I was a little nervous. Um, ended up having a, a terrific training camp, made the team that year, uh, stuck around for the first month before I got sent back to junior. But I think for me, I, I didn't appreciate how hard that jump is. Um, and so I just took it for granted that, hey, I made the team my first year. You know, I'll go back to junior, I'll, you know, I'll play a lot and, and then I'll be right back in that same position next year. So my mindset uh, wasn't great out of the gate. And uh, had I maybe struggled that camp or even had a good camp that got sent back, um, my mindset might have been a little different. So it took a while for me to get my head wrapped around. Um, no, no, you need to earn this. You need to, there's a lot of things you need to work on. Um, and I was fortunate back then because there wasn't a salary cap. Uh, nowadays, organizations won't allow a player that amount of time to develop. I think it was six, seven years before I became a number one guy. Right. And that just doesn't happen nowadays because of, you know, if you're not, if you're not making progress or if you're not, um, you know, playing a certain level within three or four years, they tend to the tendency nowadays is to move on. And um, uh, so I was fortunate in that regard that, you know, we didn't, they, they had, they still believed in me and then there was still time. There wasn't any uh, monetary pressure. Um, and, uh, you know, and I, I, to my own credit, I had a lot of perseverance and I had to find ways to, to make myself a better goalie. Uh, probably more so mentally than physically. I was always, I was always, you know, uh, worked out hard and, and uh, was a big guy and um, but it was the mental side. And uh, once I, once I was able to um, control that and, and channel my emotions in, in the proper direction, then I, then I became the goalie that, uh, that everybody saw the last, you know, the last 10 years of my career. Right. Absolutely. And in those first years is where they coined the, uh, you got the nickname Godzilla, not just because uh, you were a, a larger in frame, but because you, you had, you played with that emotion and, uh, you know, actually I have a buddy who has one of your shattered sticks. So, <laughs> you know, kind of, kind of one of those things. And, and um, I'm sure half the population in whatever city I played in had a, a piece of my shattered stick. It was, uh, I got a lot of grief from our, from our equipment trainers and, uh, for blowing the stick budget. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, yeah, Polly, go ahead. Yeah. Well, so uh, speaking of your journey and your development, you played professionally in the late '80s up through the you know the mid 2000s. How much of a challenge was it um, adjusting to the game changing and the position changing and even the equipment change? uh, throughout the, the nineties into the two thousands? Well, equipment change for me, wasn't a big deal. Um, I generally always wore probably gear that was a little smaller for my size, just because I felt like I moved around the net bigger, uh, better. Um, the, uh, yeah, obviously the change in, in style of the game. Um, you know, there was a big, there were some big adjustments, but I think when, when I hit, my peak or, you know, um, you know, there's a, when you, when you come out of junior, your, your physical abilities up here, but your, your, your mental, um, strength and your, obviously your, uh, 
experiences down here. And there's, there becomes a point in your career where your, your, your talent and your uh, experience level mentality come that are equal. And that's, that's where you're the best at what you can do. Because obviously as you get older, your, your physical ability goes down, you still, you know, you become stronger mentally and emotionally because you've gone through those experiences, but because your physical ability is down here, you're not nearly the bully that you were. So when they come like this is when the game is really starting to evolve and become faster. And, um, and so I was able to, you know, to keep up with that um, near the end of my career, when, you know, the, the, the rule changes came in where, you know, they totally eliminated the, the, the holding and hooking and obstruction. And, and then that allowed for the, the smaller, faster guys to be more prevalent. Um, and then the skill set obviously increased a little bit. The game became a lot faster. Um, you know, you had to become a lot quicker laterally because it wasn't a case of if it was a two on one back then, you knew that, okay, I just need to, I need to take the shooter. And I, I know, that uh, Brendan Witt is going to totally eliminate this guy here by any means possible. And so with my size, I was just able to, you know, force a guy to either hit me or make an unbelievable shot to get it by me where now you can't hook and hold. So now it's, it's, it's more, you've got to, it can't be as aggressive um, because there is that, there is that chance that that puck's coming across. And so you have to be ready for the shot and, and the pass. So, um, and then as I got older, my, you know, my, my physical ability kind of started going away and I wasn't able to, to keep up nearly as much. And, and, and then, you know, obviously then it was time to, to hang them up. Sure. Um, you know, and it's funny uh, because just talking about your size and, and just the physical um, imprint of, of you as a goalie, I feel like, you know, back in the day, if you look at the top goalies when you were drafted and in the nineties, you know, maybe a handful were over like six foot. Now it seems like every goalie is at least six two. It, you know, it seems like you were kind of, and I mean, I'll say it. I feel like you were kind of the archetype that, that kind of modeled. So a little bit ahead of your time in that sense, being such a, a large frame person, um, but still being super athletic and being able to, uh, to, uh, ch- to change in that sense and to being able to, to stop those shots and, and move laterally and, and be as athletic as you were. Um, but one thing that I think Polly wanted to know, and, and I'm going to steal this question is who is the player that you shut down or stopped that you're most proud of? Is there any moment there that, uh, that you, uh, that, that sticks out to you uh, that you, you really just stuffed a guy and you're like, yes. <laughs> Oof, uh, God, no, I, you know what? I don't know. Cause I mean, I, I, I had such a, a long career that, I mean, I had, I had a handful of success against guys, but then they also had a handful of success against me. Uh, the one guy I tell you that seemed to score me every time we played was Ron Francis, um, whether he was with Pittsburgh or with Carolina. Um, and I, I say that all the time that, uh, you know, and it wasn't like he necessarily beat me with a great shot or, but he was always that guy that got his nose dirty, stood in front of me. He was a big guy. So, he was a great screen. He had great hands that could deflect pucks. Um, he would always, always be able to find a rebound if one came off me. And so he, he had probably the most success against me. Um, but you know what? Like for me, went back in the day. Obviously, when you stop guys like Gretzky, Lemieux, and Yager, 
right. uh, Hall, Oates, um, you know, Iserman. I mean, the list goes on and on. Obviously, you know, you, you put a feather in your cap, but having said that, they also, you know, they've also put a few pucks by me too. So um, <laughs> it's okay. It was a good question. I mean, I, God, I went, there's not one guy that I could sit there that I say I totally own. Right. <laughs> you know, and it, it seems like every goalie has that one guy that just has their number and can always get one by them. And I guess for you, that was Francis. Right. And I mean, did you hate playing against him? Um, you know, I know there's obviously well, mutual respect. No, I, I, it was a challenge. I didn't hate playing against him. I mean, I actually had a lot of, I had a lot of success against Carolina back in the day too, but it just seemed that, you know, if we'd have won, if we won three, two or four, three or two, one, you know, Francis was always the guy that was on the score sheet for Carolina. Um, you know, Marty, Marty St. Louis, probably the more, more modern guy, I guess, the more up to, you know, um, modern day player that, that had success on me. Um, and another, another hard nose, you know, probably a little more skilled, um, player, but, uh, you know, we had the, those rivalries against Tampa and, and he always seemed to, to get one on me every one, one or two games. Absolutely. And I'm, I mean, just to, just to throw a little jab at the penguins. I mean, do, do you hate that organization as much as we do as fans? <laughs> I think if you wear red, white, and blue with the Capitals logo on your Jersey, uh, I think everybody, if you, if you don't hate them, you got a, you got a problem. You shouldn't yeah. be uh, part of the caps nation. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. I hear you there. Um, and they're, they're just, they're, 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 they've been the center of so many heartbreaks for our franchise and, and, um, you know, and, and just, yeah, it's just, unfortunately it is what it is when you're in your caps, caps player, caps fan, anybody wearing a penguin on their Jersey, you're, you're, you're not going to be very well liked. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, and I, this kind of goes and, and, you know, you named a bunch of players, but was there, I, I guess, anyone, whether they had success against you or not, but someone that you were like, man, he's the best player I've played against. Was there anyone that, that you have under there that comes to mind? Well, if, if playing against Ovi one game when I was with Tampa counts, then I'd have to say Ovi. <laughs> uh, you know what? Honestly, if he just stayed healthy, I, I, I honestly think that Mario Lemieux probably would have – could have challenged Gretzky's records, I think. And I, and I caught, obviously I caught Gretzky at the end of his career and, and uh, you know, he was playing out West most of the time until he came to New York. Um, and I grew up watching him and he obviously he is the greatest player to ever play. Um, but the player I've, the player that I played against that I feared the most that had, that was just, you know, you're almost starstruck when you're, when you're playing was Mario Lemieux. Awesome. And unfortunately, he wore a penguin. Yeah, <laughs> right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, I'm, I'm sure that we actually have a pretty good relationship with the with the Tip of the Iceberg podcast, who's the who's the Penguins podcast on this. So, so we'll definitely have to key him in on on that on that quote there. I'm sure they'll be happy. Um, much to our chagrin, if you will. <laughs> um, <laughs> Although I did say, I did say, if only one game counted, it would have been Ovi. Fair enough. Fair enough. Yep. Yeah. There you go. We'll count that. That okay. Ovi's number one. Yeah, official answer, Ovi. Yeah. <laughs> um, so going back to juniors a little bit, you scored the first WHO goalie goal, correct, in history? Yeah. 
so take us through the emotions of that. You know, you as a goalie, you don't get that opportunity very often. So, you know, how how'd that play go down and how'd it make you feel? This is actually this is actually a funny story because this was the year that I I I'd made the caps out of out of my first training camp and and I got sent back um, you know in, in late October and uh, I think I scored somewhere in late November but um, when I came back I came back uh, not with a bad attitude but just the wrong like I said earlier the wrong attitude and, and thinking that I could dominate the the uh, the Western League just because I made you know the NHL and you realize later that. Uh, when you become up to speed, the higher level you play, the easier it is to play because everybody on the ice does their job perfectly. And the sure. lower you go in leagues, the tougher it is because it's more of a, uh, helter skelter, you know, not everybody's as talented as the guys in the NHL. So, uh, it wasn't just me having to stop the puck. I had to rely on my teammates in front of me to, to help me along. And, uh, um, so anyway, I, I struggled, I struggled the first month that I was back. And, um, and so this game against Seattle, uh, which is a lot like, a lot like the Penguins to us, uh, we, we hated them. Um, and I actually had a, had an assist and a penalty in that game. So, um, <laughs> it was, uh, it was four, two, um, and they pulled a goalie obviously, and then they dumped the puck in, but it was on a delayed offside. And so I went behind the net. Um, and this was back when I actually really handled the puck well, cause I, I'd grown up, you know, um, at least in my later years in junior, I grew up idolizing Hextall. And, um, and so I went behind the net, I, I corralled it and my goal was to loft it over everybody's head. Well, I kind of, I kind of not fanned on it, but I just cut the top of the puck and, and it went about, I don't know, three feet off the ice. And actually one of my teammates had to lift his leg to let it go by. And uh, it was going down. It was going right in the middle of the net at center ice, and it just curled in the left post. Um, and it was unbelievable. The bench is—I mean, we still had there was still 20, 30 seconds left in the game, but the bench cleared. Uh, they mauled me in the corner, like you know, we just won, you know, seventh game overtime, and and um, and so uh, you know, we had to regroup. We ended up winning the game five-two, and and. Um, you know, I so so happy and just kind of erased that first month back, and and so next the next day, phone rings and, and I answer the phone and it's Jack Button who was our director of player personnel with Washington, and I'm you know I'm just happy, giddy, and thinking he's going to call me and congratulate me, and and uh, he's uh, he's asking me about that night, and he says, so I heard uh, heard you had a pretty good night last night, an assist, uh, a goal, and a, and a penalty, and. And I said, yeah, Jack, it was unbelievable. And, um, uh, you know, the, the bench is clear and this and that. And, and there's a little bit of silence on the other end. And, and then Jack comes up and he says, well, that that's great. But uh, the last time I checked, we drafted you to stop the puck. And you have not been doing a very good job of that lately. Oh, and wow. I tell you what, I've never felt so small. And talk about crashing back to earth. Um I don't think I handled a puck the rest of the year. And, uh, you know, that was a, that was a good wake up call for me. But, uh, anyway, the experience was great. Um, it was a lot of fun. Obviously I go down the history books as the first Western league, uh, Western league to score. Well, talk about the ultimate buzz kill the next day. <laughs> oh, huh? Yeah. Uh, we're going to have to coin that, uh, 
Ole Kolzig hat trick though. The goalie gets a goalie assist and a penalty tonight. <laughs> yeah. Right. Well, had the game gone longer, I might have probably gotten a fight because I know the next day in the paper, their head coach came out and said, "Well, if Kolzig wants to act like a forward, I guess we'll have to treat him like one." So, Ooh. had that game yeah. gone on another minute or two, they might have they might have run me or, or something. So I might have I might have actually gotten the Gordy Howe hat trick that night. <laughs> Well, I'd say that's a, a little motivation not to do that again. <laughs> um, and so uh, Dave Pryor, he was your, your coach in Washington and then with Team Germany as well. And then when you got hired, uh, you, you worked under him. Um, can you elaborate on the impact he had on your career as both a player and a coach? Yeah, so there obviously I, there's probably not a guy I credit more with my with the success I've had in my career. There's no coincidence that once Dave came on board that my my career took off. Um, I first met Dave uh, when I went over um, to play for Germany at the World Cup. He was working with with George Kingston at the time, um, helping out. I think he was on with, uh, I want to say he was with Dallas at the time, the stars. And, um, so we, we connected that, that first world cup in 96 and, um, you know, lo and behold, a year later, uh, when, you know, we had the, the, uh, house cleaning in DC when you know, we fired the coach and the GM and we, you know, Ron Wilson came in and, and George came in and, um, one of the first hires they, they made was Dave Pryor who was, I think, let go of Dallas the year before. And and so right away, I was like, this is probably the first time that I've actually had a full-time goalie coach. When I was in Rochester four years prior to that, I had um, four, four or five years prior to that, I had Mitch Korn. Um, uh, and, and Mitch did a – Mitch was great with me and, and really um, didn't have to because he was more of a, a Buffalo Sabre guy and I was just on loan there. But uh, he helped me out just as much as uh, the rest of the prospects that were down in Rochester. And so uh, he was, he was invaluable to me, but, but Dave was actually my first full-time guy. Um, and obviously I had, I had a really good comfort level with him working with him uh, with the German national team. And so, and Dave was the opposite of me. He was a very soft-spoken guy. I didn't get too excited. Um, so every time I had a volcanic moment, you know, he was always there to, to be able to put the lava back in and just kind of, you know, get me re refocused. And, 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 you know, as a result, we had that, we had that fantastic run in 98. Um, and then, uh, you know, he was with me all the way through my career in Washington. And, and then I had that falling out late uh, in my career and I ended up going to Tampa for a year and, uh, and not that I had a falling out with Dave, just with the, with the organization. And, um, so I played one more year in Tampa and finally realized my body had had enough and retired. And I retired for two years, spent a lot of time with my family and because you miss out on a lot of stuff with your young kids. And, sure. Um, but then after two years, uh, I think I was getting on everybody's nerves around the house. And, um, <laughs> you know, Dave knew I wanted to get back involved in the game and, 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 you know, he thought I would, uh, I would do a good job at, uh, at coaching goalies and because of all, obviously all the knowledge I got from him and, um, not too far removed from the game. So I could, I could relate with the, with the modern day goalies. And, and so uh, he hired me on as a, a associate goalie coach and 
I predominantly work with the guys in Hershey and in South Carolina, which happen to be, uh, you know, uh, Colts, uh, Grubauer, Danny Sabrin, uh, a little bit with Nuvi. Um, uh, and, and it was, it was awesome. And it was just, it was great to get back involved. And, um, and then unfortunately a few years later, um, you know, uh, Dave was let go. And, um, and so I was brought up to kind of fill his spot in Washington. And, um, and then obviously he went on, you know, years later to, to, to Vegas and, and they had that magical run that first year where fortunately we were able to take care of him. But, right. you know, Dave, I think Mark Andre Fleury has come out and said he gives Dave Pryor a lot of credit for the success and the, uh, that he had that year. Um, and, and well, and two years that Dave was there. Um, so Dave is a, he's a huge part of my life. And um, not only do I consider him like a friend and, a, and obviously a great mentor, but um, my dad passed away in 04 and, and, and Dave really became my father figure moving forward from that, you know, that day on. And, uh, right. and so, uh, you know, I, I owe a lot to Dave. Absolutely. Um, and you know, it's, it's funny because I don't know if a lot of people know that, you know, Dave went to Vegas and then the caps come on and, and, and beat him in the finals there. Uh, any, any chirp in there? Any, uh, student has become the master or, uh, just kind of a nice handshake and a hug. Oh, cause I wasn't, I wasn't the goalie coach at the time. I was doing, I was more of a player development and no, I was actually, I felt bad because, you know, they came like George and Dave came in in 98 kind of almost the same thing they're there their first year you know we go to the finals we lose to Detroit and then lo and behold whatever many years later George and Dave are with another franchise in their first year and they go to the finals and not only do they get beat in the finals but they get beat in the finals by the team that they did it with in 98 so it was it was bittersweet um you know had we not to beat Tampa and Tampa was playing um, Vegas, obviously, you know, I would have loved to seen Vegas win the cup, but sure. you know, when we were playing them, it was, you know, Hey, if we don't beat this upstart team, this is our best chance right now to ever win a Stanley cup. If we don't beat this upstart team, I don't think we'll ever win a cup as an organization. <laughs> and unfortunately, you know, there were a lot of friends on the Vegas side that, um, that I guess were the victims of, of us winning. And so you felt bad, but um, still you, you gotta, they, I'm sure after that season, they look back on it and then realize how special a run they had. And they, you know what, they set themselves up moving forward. They're going to have a good team for a long time. Absolutely. Yeah. No. Yeah. I mean, there's, I, I, I understand getting that close and, and not capturing the prizes is, is a thing is, is a little painful, but you know, Vegas looks so good right now. I mean, they have, uh, you know, the draft was great to them. They, and McPhee seems to be doing a great job managing there. Um, well, and, G- and George isn't the GM anymore. He stepped down last year. He's the president of the team. Um, and, uh, Kelly or, uh, Kelly McCrimmon now is the, uh, uh, the full-time GM, but I'm sure oh, George okay. still, has his hand in decisions and, and, uh, the direction that that team's going. Absolutely. Um, and going back, you know, speaking of your coaching, uh, you know, you, you're sent, you, you have that extensive coaching background, you know, 
2011 associate goaltender coach, then head tendy coach in 2013. Um, and then you moved into like kind of a new role uh, for the club at the time, which is professional development coach. And that's what you, that's, you know, that's why your name's on the cup. That's why, uh, you know, that's what you've been doing uh, in most recent times. Um, you know, the goaltending coaching, that's, that's to us, to fans, you know, that's a no brainer, obviously, you know, you would be an asset there, but, you know, tell us about the move to the professional development coach in 2014. Um, you know, what made you think that, cause you pitched this, is that correct to the, to the team? You're like, you know, I need a little bit of a different role and, and you pitched it to, to the team to, to start this role. Right. Yeah, I, 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 uh, um, so we, we just, we just, uh, George got let go. Um, Adam Oates got let go. Kelly Johansson decided to go back to Sweden. Um, and my family was in Florida. And so I spent that whole year, uh, prior up in DC and, um, you know, when Dave was working with me, it was always Dave came in for two weeks and then would go home, um, would go see some junior guys, come back and see me, you know, and, you know, if my game was in order, he wouldn't do anything, wouldn't mess. So I viewed that, that full-time goaltending coach job uh, as a, you know, I can stay in Florida uh, with my kids and travel to DC, you know, when the goaltenders um, needed me, you know, what I, but it didn't evolve that way because the, 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 the job was evolving where, Teams, goaltending coaches were there full time. They'd live in the city. They right. work with the guys every day. Um, and I wasn't ready for that. And I wasn't ready to, um, you know, not see my kids until, you know, I had a free, a free weekend or whatever. And, and, you know, obviously Trotsy got hired and I knew the relationship that Trotsy had with, with, uh, with Mitch. Um, and I, I didn't want to be in the middle of that awkward situation where, you know, Trotsy's bringing Mitch with him, but I had a great relationship with Trotsy because, you know, he was the scout that scouted me when I played junior. He coached me uh, when we won our championship in Portland. Um, I knew Mitch from, like I said, my days in Rye. So it was just something had to change. And um, so I went to Mac and I pitched this pro development and it, it is not, it had nothing to do with, with uh, skill development. It was more of, teaching these kids how to be pros because I knew when I came in, I, I, you're basically just thrown in the pool and expected to know how to swim. I mean, I was, you know, you're living with, uh, you're living with billets and junior, your meals are done, your laundry's done. Um, everything revolves around school and hockey. So there's not a lot of free time. You're not getting paid anything. And so, you know, you, you come from that and now all of a sudden you're a professional hockey player who's living on his own. Um, it's got to make meals, got to set up a bank account, take care of bills. He's get, getting uh, a ton of money. He's getting a lot of free time. And so my, my pitch to them was, well, how about have a guy come in and help these kids to a, you know, manage their time, Man not so much manage their money, but, you know, give them, give them some tips or ideas, um, uh, you know, help them develop routines so that, you know, their off ice stuff doesn't affect their on ice stuff. And so when off ice stuff doesn't affect your on ice stuff, you're able to play a little bit more consistent, help them during, you know, the beginning of their pro career on the ice as well. And, and like, 
if a kid comes in like I did and, and has a fantastic start to his career and then all of a sudden after a month drops off, um, you know, just explain to them the process and, um, and the same time with the guy that struggles out of the gate, you know, explain the process. And my whole thing was to help these guys keep their mountains low and their valleys high. So don't get too, don't get too excited when things are going well and don't get too down when things aren't, um, you know, because at the NHL level, coaches want players they can rely on uh, in any given situation. Consistency is key. So sure. um, a coach knows what he's getting from a player every night and doesn't have to worry about, um, you know, if, if one thing goes wrong in a game that this, this player is just going to totally uh, disappear or, you know, or if a guy's having success, he's going to be totally uncontrollable. Um, <laughs> and so that was my pitch. And, and Mac, Mac thought it was a great idea and um, kind of, you know, it's, it's now it's great because we've got, We've got Brooks Orpik on board, um, who's invaluable. I mean, with with the way that guy takes care of himself and the knowledge he has of hockey, um, really helps our defensemen in the skill, you know, skill part and their little nuances of, of playing defense. And then Jim Slater, uh, who just recently retired, um, who, who was a guy I played against when he was in Atlanta. I couldn't stand him, hated him, um, <laughs> but got to know him and, and realized that hey, this guy is was our Dale Hunter. Uh, everybody hated playing against Dale. But as a teammate, was you know there wasn't a better guy to have, and so we got Jim on board. He's very, very smart player. He was a former first round pick from Michigan State, um, and, and and helps our forwards in the skill development side. So um, the development side now is is has gotten bigger and better, and and um, and hopefully as a result, we're going to see you know more and more of our young players down the road end up end up being in Washington. Awesome, yeah, that's and I, I feel like that's uh that's great because you know it nurtures the human aspect of it, you know, cause like you said, you know, from the, from the ownership and coaching side, it's almost like, you know, we need you to be this every day. And that's, that's almost machine like, but, but you got to remember that there's still a person behind that player in that sense. Um, any hilarious, I mean, that, that being said, any funny situations that's come out of this role though, like somebody calls you and they're like, laundry is is overflowing their apartment or anything anything good that from from that vein uh i've no not so much where i've gotten a phone call from a guy but i've had a roommate of a guy tell me that um you know that the laundry's piling up or um, a couple times the guys had to wear his underwear inside out and uh (laughs) once i heard that i said oh boy you know this is no no this is uh this kid's got to learn how to do laundry um, come to find out he, he knew how to do laundry he's just lazy and uh so you know that that's part of the role is like listen you got to discipline yourself um you know you've got to have routines you've got to you know how you look and how you represent yourself how you represent the team goes a long way it's not just about performing on the ice but you know how you represent um you know like i said yourself and the organization and and so uh um that was he got he, he's 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 on board now and he's he's good and um there was another kid uh who's actually up in washington right now that um never liked to do the dishes and he was with two roommates and um you know didn't have a didn't have an issue eating the food but was never never keen on cleaning up after after eating the food <laughs> um No, I probably had more funny stories when I played than, than actually right now the role I'm doing. It's um, kids are 
you know, there's a couple issues on social media that you got to watch out for. And, and that's the thing you got to tell them is once something's on social media, it's there forever. So be careful sure. of what you post, um, careful of what you say. Uh, there's a few examples I use from, from guys, um, you know, other leagues, other sports that have abused it. And as a result are not, are not working at the professional level anymore. So um, there's a lot more to, to a player now than it was back in my day. Um, you know, back there was no, there was no cameras, there was no smartphones, there was no social media. And um, so not that we, we got away with a lot of stuff, but you could get away with a lot of stuff, more stuff back then. Now it's, it's impossible. So you need to be on your best behavior all the time. And uh, <clears throat> a little more on that role, the uh, Capitals are a pretty European heavy roster. Has your role led to you needing to help these guys acclimate to a North American culture? Uh, a little bit. Um, the biggest thing is, is um, so for most of the guys, there's always, whether it's a Russian or, or Czech, uh, there's always another one from, from the same country. So they kind of, they can kind of help each other. And, and the great thing about our organization is that, you know, whether you're in South Carolina, whether you're in Hershey, whether you're in Washington, the, the, the core, the culture always allows for those guys to be taken in and comforted and guided. And so for me, the biggest thing was actually the language thing. So when, when VTech Vanacek first came over, you know, came to development camp, we set up um, an English tutor for him. So, you know, they were there for a week and, you know, it's a long day for those guys. So, but it was even longer for VTech because after, after all the stuff we do at the rink and the orientation stuff and meetings and, you know, VTech had to spend an hour, hour and a half with an English teacher. Right. And, you know, so he got a week worth of English and that teacher stayed, did some online stuff with him from July until training camp. And so, because the biggest thing is communication. How is a coach going to be able to get what he wants across to an individual that can't understand language? Sure. And so, um, and at that point, you know, Scott Murray and, 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 and Mitch Korn were the goalie coaches. So there was a lot of stuff that VTech had to work on his game and learn and guys, they, they couldn't get it across to him. So um he did it to his credit, he did a great job in those months leading up to his first training camp. And he came in, he spoke a little bit better English um, and continued to do that, the, the, the work with the tutor during training camp. And uh, you, he was able to, you know, because he came to that development camp and we wasn't, he wasn't blowing us out of the water. It was like, oh, you know, I don't know what I see here, but part of it is because he couldn't, understand and, 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 and take what Mitch and, and Scotty had to apply to his game. And so came a training camp, he could understand it a little better. And as a result, his development started to take off. Um, and then most recently, two years ago, when, when, when Ilya Samsonov was here, it was kind of the same thing. Um, and we knew that uh, this kid was, he was special. And, um, but the, the, the fastest way for him to, adapt and and get used to the North American style of game was to develop his English. And uh, same thing. Um, we had a bit of a setback at the beginning of, of his first year pro in Hershey because we had another um, another Russian that was there. And so normally the, the natural thing is 
And the same as if I was in Russia and there was another English teammate, who am I going to gravitate to is the guy from your, from your whole country. So the two Russians got together. Well, Ilya wasn't working on his English because they were speaking Russian all the time. They kind of alienated themselves from the rest of the team. Um, and as a result, I think Ilya's game struggled that first half. But um, anyway, that, that, that his fellow Russian was let go, you know, I think right before Christmas. Um, and so as a result, you know, Ely didn't have a choice but to integrate himself more with the team and had to learn English so that he could integrate himself more. And then once he learned English and once he got to know his teammates better, he felt more comfortable. When he felt more comfortable, his game really started to take off. And then, you know, he had an unbelievable, he's probably one of the best best records and stat-wise the second half of the season. And, and a lot of that is just because of, of your understanding the language, you're communicating with your teammates, and you're just feeling comfortable. Absolutely. Um, you know, that's, that's a really cool, I guess, insider look at that, at that type of communication, because, you know, it's, it's, it's cool to see the other side because, you know, from the outside, you know, you can see that he, he especially a Samsonov first half, his first pro season in North America was, eh, and then he finished it out strong and now look where he is now. So, so that's, that's great to hear. Um, and, you know, Picking back off this type of professional development coach and being a good person or being responsible on and off the ice and, and you know, uh, representing the team in that way, you know, your role in the D.C. community really can't be understated. You know, did a lot of charity work and things like that. Um, and D.C. has just benefited from your presence. So, you know, if you could tell us a little bit more about your charity work, especially with the, with autism and things like that, that'd be great. You know, we want to give you that um, give you this platform to, to talk it up a little bit. Yeah, well, I mean, obviously, when uh, when I, when I first started playing there, you know, I wasn't, I didn't have kids, I wasn't married, and and so I was really, I really got involved with the um, Children's National Medical Center in D.C. and um, you know, we had annual visits there, and uh, um, I, I was always a big believer that being sick and being a kid shouldn't go hand in hand, and so for me, it was, it was really inspiring to go to those to the hospitals and and see the kids. Um, a lot of them weren't in great shape, and um, but they always seemed to have a smile and, and a positive attitude when we came in the room. And, and you know, as an athlete, um, as a pro athlete, I think, you know, sometimes we don't realize the effect we have on people. And, and we can use, you know, um, our platform to, you know, to advocate or to um, really – get our message across regarding whatever it is. Uh, I'm not a political guy. And, um, but, uh, when it came to the children's medical center, it was, uh, I was a huge, huge, uh, supporter. And then, um, you know, I was, I had my first son in 01 and, uh, about a year and a half later, my whole outlook and everything changed on what I was going to support. And, um, you know, he was diagnosed at 15 months with autism and, um, and, you know, back in 01, 02, uh, you know, the word autism really was, wasn't prevalent. I think as soon as you say that people thinking, you know, think of the movie Rain Man and, um, you don't realize that, uh, the scope of the spectrum from, from very high functioning, smart to severely disabled, um, and, uh, my wife and I, fortunately, we we were put in touch with a couple of players that were in the NHL that that um, 
that had sons with autism and, and um, they really helped us in kind of navigating, um, you know, where to go and, and, you know, how to get the, the necessary help. Cause you get on the, you get online and, and it's just overwhelming. And it, um, it's almost, you know, the first part of the nightmare is getting the, the diagnosis and, you know, like everything you had, everything you had foreseen for your son just got smashed in pieces. And then the second half of the nightmare is, is where do you go? What do you do? You know, this isn't, and this isn't the comparison because one's, one's, one's life and death and, and autism obviously is, is not life and death. Um, but when you get cancer, you know, there's a protocol, there's guidelines, there's, you know, what to do, where to go. Um, with autism, like I said, it's not life or death. It's life changing. Uh, it has a huge, puts a huge strain on the family dynamic. And, um, but you, you're kind of, at a, because certain things work for different kids and not all sure. the same therapies work for each individual. So it was, it was a process for us. And it was, like I said, we were fortunate. We were guided with a couple, a couple of guys in the league. And, and so um, with these two guys, we, we, we approached autism speaks um, and see to see if we could piggyback off of them and, and have a, a branch of athletes or celebrities, um, you know, that could help uh, bring autism to the forefront. So we called it athletes against autism. Um, and the only reason we called it athletes against autism is because of, you know, triple a, you know, AAA and, um, in hindsight, we probably would have went with, you know, athletes for autism. And, um, it wasn't like, you know, we were against it, but, um, we were just trying to, um, I don't know. Um, like spread awareness of it because you're right. In in 01, you know, I think back, it was never mentioned in mainstream media. It was hardly ever mentioned anywhere in schools, things like that. But now, you know, there's programs all over the country, um, probably in almost every city that has some sort of support for that. And I mean, you know, yeah, you guys, you guys did such a great job and, you know, obviously there's a ton of people working on it, but you know, your work definitely helped bring this up to the forefront. Yeah. And I think it, it, it shows too, you know, because people feel so sort of helpless. And, and, and sometimes when, when you have an athlete or celebrity that that's going through the same thing, those families can relate. And, um, and so I, it, you know, I think later that year, the after the first year, we were able to get Ernie Els on board. Um, and I think that was, that was monumental. That was huge. Um, unfortunately in 08 when everything was the market was in the tank and everything was kind of uh, financial world was in, in upheaval um, you know even foundations had to start cutting costs and so unfortunately our branch was cut off um, of, of autism speaks but um, Ernie ended up staying on board and, and has made it obviously has made a huge impact uh, in the world of autism and um, and I think because the numbers now, I mean, back then, I think it was one in, you know, one in 500 when my son was diagnosed um, that were, were diagnosed. And now it's one in 68. I mean, that's ridiculous. And I know there's better testing and and, and things like that, but it has become a lot more prevalent. And, and so, yeah, you're seeing it on the news, you're seeing it on time magazine. People understand autism a little bit more now. They know what it's kind of about. And, um, but, uh, 
Yeah, no, it was important for us. And then we started the Carson Kolzik Foundation locally here in Washington State. And it was more so because of we knew how hard it was once we got the diagnosis and you're kind of left, you know, hanging and where to go. And so we started the foundation in hopes that we could help families navigate through this whole thing. And, and we were able to fund a, um, a center here in town, uh, the Responding to Autism Center, where, where families could go, they could get, uh, kids could get evaluated um, and uh, kind of guided on to where they should go once once they get a diagnosis and, uh, and it's evolved more now where we're, uh, cause this was back in 05, 06 when we, we, we started the foundation and now it's, you know, cause those kids are now adults. And so it's, we're still working, we're still helping the kids, but now it's, what do you do with the adults? So now we're working on, on job pro, uh, placement programs and, and helping these, these adults now give them the skills to, to, to go to go get uh, to go get jobs and, and, and work and then become uh, you know more independent give themselves some you know some self-worth because it's you know, I see in my own son there's days where he doesn't understand why he's here and doesn't uh, you know why am I on earth there's you know nothing for me here to do and so it's very important that these these kids get this sort of training and, and, and so that they have that self-belief and there is some sort of purpose to, to why they're here. Awesome. Yeah. I mean, and it, that's such a great cause, man. So kudos to you for, for being so dedicated to it. And not only that, you know, um, the, the caps organization, I feel like does a great job of community outreach and helping, uh, you know, the children's hospitals and, and, you know, I mean, Tom Wilson, Braden Holpe, everybody, Ovechkin, you know, they're all reaching out and, and really generous with their time. Um, and I mean, you know, I feel like that type of culture kind of, was brought on by your generation of caps and, and moved forward, you know? Uh, so, uh, all good stuff there, man. So thank you for that for sure. Um, and I guess moving on to, to just moving on to today's Washington capitals, you know, now we've gotten word that the playoff picture has been approved, uh, the 2014 format and whatnot, uh, do you have any thoughts on on that for like just as far as the league goes? I mean, anything? I'm excited for one. I know me and Polly and his fans we're super excited just to have hockey back. Obviously, we want everyone to stay safe. But um, uh, what, what's your thoughts on on how the playoffs are going to go? Well, I, I think I think they did a I think they did a great job in in addressing the fact that you know we're not going to have the end of the regular season, and there were actually there were eight teams you know, that legitimately had a shot of, 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 of getting into the playoffs. Um, and so, you know, we, we stopped, you know, we canceled the last 15, 16 games of the year. And, and then all of a sudden, you know, Oh, this is where it's cut off top 16 teams. No, no question. No ifs, ands or buts. So I think they did a terrific job in, in addressing that and allowing these other eight teams to, to play their way in. And it's going to be, everything about this year is, is unprecedented. So it's going right. to be interesting to see. Uh, it's going to be interesting to see having 12 teams in one, in one venue and 12 teams in another venue. Uh, it makes sense. Obviously it's less, um, you know, you're, you're less vulnerable to get, to get the virus. It's going to be interesting to see how they play with no fans in the, in the building, because I think hockey more than any other sport, maybe football, but really, really thrive off, fan energy sure. um 
So it's it's going to be interesting. It's going to be weird. It almost it almost feel like a scrimmage because there's going to be nobody in the building. But right. I'm sure the NHL will do a good job with with piping in sound or, or whatever it is to give give more of an intense feeling. Um, but I, I'm I'm excited that just that that they're really. It's not to say it's 100 percent because you just still don't know sure. where this is going. But um, at least the plans in place so that when things do open up enough, um, we will finish the season and. Uh, uh, and crown a champion, because I think the the world right now is really longing for sports. I mean, you know, I'm not really I'm not a huge NASCAR guy, but now NASCAR's on, and there's nothing else on, so I watch NASCAR. <laughs> um, you know, the two those two golf uh, exhibitions the last couple of weeks were fantastic to watch. Uh, you know, some the, the Bundesliga over in Germany, the soccer is is going on. So, um, but ultimately, when hockey's on, that's that's for me. That you know, let's go. <laughs> absolutely man absolutely yeah. um what's your take on the current goalie situation in dc i mean um Holpe's contract is ending uh i've heard some rumors i i saw on social media so you know take that for what it is that maybe the caps are going to shop out Haglin and panic to make room for Holpe. my thought was we were going to let Holpe walk off into the sunset and go get paid 10 million a year somewhere um he hasn't had the best season this season but, you know, uh, I mean, obviously a lot in performance wise, you know, if, if the caps go on and hopefully go and win the cup again, you know, his his value shoots right back through the roof. Um, you know, uh, we talked a little bit on Samsonov, but what about Holpe? I mean, what do you think is going to happen? I, well, I don't know what's going to happen, honestly. Uh, yeah, I am on the management side, but I'm not involved in obviously in that part. But I'm I'm a huge always from day one. I've always been a huge Braden Holpe fan, um, you know, uh, he brings he brings intangibles that you know other goalies don't. Um, his work ethic, his intensity. Um, players love playing for the guy, and uh, uh, yeah, he hasn't had the greatest of seasons. But I think right up until you know the last couple of weeks before the the uh, we had the shutdown, he was his game was really starting to round back into form. And he's a Stanley Cup winner. He's he's brought the organization's only Stanley Cup here. Uh, he, he arguably has, um, you know, the single biggest save in franchise history. Um, you know, you rattle off, you rattle off all those stats early on. Well, you know, it's just a matter of time before Braden, you know, surpasses a lot of those stats. So, um, I would love, obviously love to see, to see Braden here. Um, but again, uh, in the salary cap world, it's, um, it's a, it's a, it's a fine line, you know, and, and, and obviously with this, this work stoppage, I mean, it's not to say that the, the word or the, 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 it's still, you know, the jury's still out on, 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 on Sammy. It's not Sammy's legit, legit, uh, going to be a legit number one guy, but you know, only having half a year in the NHL, you really put all your eggs in the basket, um, to have him be that number one guy next year. Um, I don't know. It's, it's just, a, it's everything just kind of got thrown thrown out the window when they stopped, when they stopped uh, playing in March. Uh, so it, it just remains to be seen, but um, I'm a huge, I'm a huge Braden fan. And and we are too. And obviously we would love to have him be a lifetime career cap. Um, and honestly, I'm hoping that, uh, that it, that that happens. And I feel like a lot of the teammates, you know, a lot of the core, you know, we just saw Backstrom sign what I thought was a pretty team friendly deal. Uh, 
considering he'd been taking hometown discounts probably for his entire career. Um, and, you know, I would expect maybe Ovechkin to probably do a little bit of that too, hopefully, uh, after next season. But, I mean, uh, again, yeah, just to echo what you're saying, man, I would love to see Holpe back in. Um, uh, not not too thrilled to see him shatter any of your records, though. But, <laughs> but you know, uh, great to have him on the team. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm sure Gretzky's not won't be too thrilled when Ovi does it. But, hey, it's going to be broken. And, um, you know, uh a lot of those records were established because of longevity. So um, what Braden's done in his, his time in the NHL, I mean, is, is, is fantastic. Um, you know, he's obviously he's come in with the same time as the rest of the core. So it's, it's been a dynamic unit um, for the last seven, eight years, uh, maybe even 10 years. Um, and so, uh, you know, but you can only win if you have great goaltending and, True. You know, as a goaltender, you only win when when you get good goal scoring. So it's it's a great combination, great balance um, uh, with the team. Absolutely, man. Well, you know that that does it for all the questions we have. Uh, thanks a lot again for coming on. Did you have anything that you wanted to? Uh, you know, we always try to give everybody, all our guests, a, a chance to plug anything. You know, your social websites, anything like that. No, I'm not a big I'm not a big uh, plug guy, but I just want you know. I know we're in an unprecedented time and, and, uh, you know, people are, are starting to get a little stir crazy, but, um, you know, we need to be diligent and staying safe and, and respecting, respecting the distance and, uh, uh, not get too, not get too comfortable now that the weather's warming up and everybody wants to go outside. Just please be careful so that we can finally get this thing under control. And, 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 um, cause the last thing you want is for, for it to start spiking again. And then we're back in the same boat that we were two months ago. So please everybody respect each other and, and stay safe. Awesome. Words of wisdom by the greatest goalie in caps franchise history. Oli Kolzig, Godzilla himself. Uh, Oli again, thanks so much for being so generous with your time. It means a lot to us. Uh, definitely. I got a lot of it right now, guys. So. <laughs> Well, well, maybe uh, not to say that I hope the situation continues, but maybe, you know, maybe this summer, if you have any more time, we'll have you back on. We'd love to have you on again and talk yeah, about some sure. other stuff. Awesome. Awesome. Thanks for having me on, guys. Absolutely, Thank you. man. Thank you so much. Take care. All right, guys. Bye. You you fucking enjoyed it. Let's just be honest. You you loved it. It was great. Um, I don't I don't think there's any other option there, right, Polly? No, uh, <clears throat> he was awesome. It was very pleasant, and we got to hear some some stuff about his life, about his career that some people may not have known. So I thought it was uh, he was really open and great with us. And thanks, Oli. We really appreciate it. Absolutely. And we, we kind of like, we did a lot of work on the, on trying to ask the right questions because we didn't want it to be just another, you know, Hey, they went, the Caps won the cup finally. And you know, the, you, you took them to the cup and basically carried the whole team in in the finals and blah, blah, blah. We didn't want those run of the mill questions. So hopefully you kind of got a good insight onto him as a person and, and how, how he is and his life and just, uh, 
you know, some real candid stuff from a bona fide hockey legend. Yep. The best franchise goalie that the Washington Capitals have ever had to date. Um, and the first African born NHL athlete. Right. Absolutely. Um, I mean, I've, what a great thing. Um, his, uh, he's got a, a website, follow him at Ole Kolzig. Um, and, and, and whatnot, you know, he wasn't big about plugging his stuff, but, uh, Hit him up, you know, follow him on Twitter. He's got uh, some merch in, available. Uh, so, you know, uh, again, thanks a lot, Oli, and, and we'd love to have you back and be a little bit less formal, kind of just shooting the shit, having a, having a good time. But uh, I don't know. Paul, you got, got anything else here? Uh, no, I mean, it was a great interview. I had I had a great time recording it. I hope you guys enjoyed it. And, uh Ready to talk to you next week. Right. Yep. Check us out. Subscribe. Rate us. Five stars only. Five stars only. Um, <laughs> you know, uh, and, and all that, all that good jazz. But, uh, and I guess, you know, with, with everything going on and in, in the world today and, and with a little bit of unrest, uh, going on, you know, we hope that all of you out there that are listening are staying safe, staying inside, staying healthy still, uh, you know, it's not a free for all yet, um, depending on where you are. You know, we just started doing this in person, this episode, uh, and our state has let us do it. We're not a highly affected state. So in that case, I mean, just hope, abide by the guidelines, take it slow and um, stay safe out there, Caps fans. We hope you enjoyed this episode. Until next week, it's Hockey Troll and Polly Cupcakes signing off. Hey Caps fans, thanks for tuning in to the official Caps Chirp podcast, repping the greatest team in the NHL. Follow me, the Hockey Troll, at Hockey Trollin on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And follow me, Polly Cupcakes, on Twitter at Cupcake Polly. And follow the show's handle at Caps Chirp on Twitter and Instagram. Special thanks to the Hockey Podcast Network at HockeyPodNet on Twitter and thehockeypodcastnetwork.com. The Hockey Podcast Network. Every team, everywhere. Check them out, or we're not friends anymore.